So today we conclude our sermon series on the topic of prayer by considering what I think is a very difficult, emotionally charged, and often painful issue, that of unanswered prayer. It's illustrated, I guess, in some ways by parents who wondered if God is listening when they cry out to him for the healing of their child and the child dies. And they're left with a painful question, why? It's illustrated by children who may kneel before their beds at night and in order to pray, wondering if God is listening when they cry out to God, Lord, would you please provide a new job for daddy? Or Lord, um, would you stop daddy from hurting mommy? And the child grows up, no answer is given to the prayer, wondering where was God in the midst of a very painful childhood. It's illustrated by others of us who may wonder why God doesn't take away a certain desire or longing or temptation, why it is he hasn't brought healing to a marriage when we cried out to him to do just that, why it was that he seems so distant during a very difficult and painful time. So if these are your issues, you need to know that actually the company of the denied, if we may describe them that way, is rather impressive. I mean, it includes biblically in individuals like uh, Job, if you're familiar with his story, as shared in the opening chapter of the Old Testament book that bears his name. Job is introduced to us as a man of integrity who feared God and stayed away from evil. But by the end of that chapter, here's a man who loses all of his possessions, his business, all 10 of his children. Shortly thereafter, he comes down with a skin ailment that some would suggest to us could have been some type of skin cancer. We really don't know. But he's left with a grouchy wife who tells him to curse God and die. And with so-called friends who say, Job, this is all you're undoing. You brought this on yourself. And so we're told later, chapter 30, he says, I call to you, O God, but you never answer. And when I pray, you pay no attention. So maybe those are the kinds of emotions uh, you've experienced at one time or another. It's my sense that sooner or later, just about every believer, I haven't done a formal survey on this uh, to document it in any way, I just sense that at some time every believer will go through a difficult time when he or she will wonder about this whole thing called prayer. So in the Old Testament, we have the story certainly of Job. We turn to the New Testament, and if there was ever an individual that we would expect would consistently receive answers to prayer, it would have been the Apostle Paul. Here he is starting churches all over the Roman world, writing inspired letters that have found their way, of course, under God's direction into the New Testament portion of our Bibles, a man who suffered greatly for his faith. But at one point in his journey in 2 Corinthians 12, when dealing with a particular affliction, he says three different times I begged the Lord to take it away and each time God said, no, not gonna do it. So in light of examples that are in the Bible, Job, Paul, others we could certainly cite, clearly this matter of unanswered prayer is not a new issue. 
And over the years, many Christ followers have struggled with the painful issue of unanswered prayer, and you may be among them. So I think it raises this question. How do we continue to believe when the God in whom we have placed our trust seems distant and unconcerned? One day, Jesus was doing some teaching, and he was very much aware of the fact that those to whom he was speaking were dealing with significant discouragement. I mean, it was as if they were calling heaven's number and nobody was home. And so sensing their discouragement, Jesus in essence says, I'm gonna tell you a story. And when I get all done with the story, I'm gonna ask you to reconsider giving up on God. Or as it's stated in Luke chapter 18 and verse one, one day Jesus told his disciples a story to illustrate their need for constant prayer and to show them that they must never give up. I wanna read that story this morning and then um, address this whole issue of disappointment, especially as it relates to one answered prayer. So with that as sort of an introduction, I'm gonna invite you to stand for the public reading of the word of God recorded for us in Luke chapter 18, verses two through eight. So out of respect for the scriptures, let's give our attention to the reading of God's word. There was a judge in a certain city, Jesus said, who was a godless man with great contempt for everyone. Widow of that city came to him repeatedly, appealing for justice against someone who had harmed her. The judge ignored her for a while, but eventually she wore him out. I fear neither God nor man, he said to himself, but this woman is driving me crazy. I'm gonna see that she gets justice because she's wearing me out with her constant requests. Well, then the Lord said, Learn a lesson from this evil judge. Even he rendered a just decision in the end, so don't you think God will surely give justice to his chosen people who plead with him day and night? Will he keep putting them off? I tell you, he will grant justice to them quickly, but when I, the Son of Man, return, how many will I find who have faith? Here ends the reading of scripture, you may be seated. So if you have your sermon notes, you might want to take those out. Here's the story. It involves two principal figures, a judge and a widow. Concerning the character of the judge, I mean, this guy is bad news. Jesus says, verse 2, he was a godless man with great contempt for everyone. Now, within Jewish culture, one would have anticipated that somebody dealing with this kind of an issue would have brought her case to the elders in the synagogue. So the fact that this issue comes to a judge who's described as godless, great contempt for everyone, would suggest to us that the judge was probably Roman. And I mention that because Roman judges tended to be corrupt. These were individuals who based their decisions more on bribes than on law or even evidence. And so this judge, we're told, was like that. Now, Regarding his character, does this guy care for hurting people? Well, obviously he doesn't. I mean, for some people, the court is their last basis of appeal, you know, especially if they've been victimized in some way. This judge doesn't care for people who 
come into his court or their issues, doesn't care. And so unthinkable miscarriages of justice were taking place in this man's court. You have the picture? Okay, that's what's going on here. He's uncaring, he's unresponsive, more concerned with his own agenda than people's hurts. Probably would decide cases on the basis of bribes than anything else. Well next, we meet a widow. Verse three, a widow of that city came to him repeatedly appealing for justice against someone who had harmed her. So what is this woman like in terms of her character? Well, the fact that she's a widow indicates certainly to us that she's been through a very painful experience. She's lost her husband. Without in any way trying to minimize the hurt that any widow even in our culture today would experience going through such a loss, at least oftentimes in our culture, such a person might have the opportunity of receiving some insurance funds or a retirement plan to live on. She may even decide, depending on a lot of circumstances, the possibility of getting remarried. None of that was true, however, for a widow in Jesus' day. In almost every case, widowhood meant social disaster. So when a woman lost her husband, she would lose, of course, uh, economic security. She would lose all connections. And in addition to that, widows would fear being victimized. Well, this widow's worst fear, fears became a reality. She's, and uh, here's a woman in a lot of pain. We're not told what happened to her, but she has only one hope and that is to go into court, make her case before a judge. And wouldn't you know it, she ends up in the court of this corrupt judge. You can just imagine people listening to Jesus' story and they're thinking, oh my, this is bad news for her. What bad luck, she doesn't have a chance. As for her conduct, uh, Jesus tells us that the widow uh, wasn't very easily discouraged. Yeah, she walks into this man's court, and yes, the judge tells her essentially to get lost, but she's thinking to herself, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to stick to this guy like glue, and every time he turns around, I'm going to be in his face. I'm going to make my appeals to him. I'm not going to give up because he's the only hope that I have. And Jesus says, well, guess what? It worked. Yeah, the judge finally says, this woman is driving me crazy. I'm going to see that she gets justice because she's wearing me out with her constant requests. And so this desperate widow gains a favorable ruling before this despicable judge by badgering him into submission. And with that, Jesus ends his story. And he says, there, discouraged people, there, those of you who are about ready to give up on God, who thinks he's unresponsive, uncaring, disinterested, learn from the story. And I'm imagining the people are kind of looking at each other, you know, and they're going, uh, really? I mean, what are we supposed to learn, Jesus? Are you suggesting that those who, who, of us who feel that God has let us down are going to have to badger him and bang on the doors of heaven until a reluctant, preoccupied God gives in to our requests? Jesus, is that the lesson we're supposed to get from this story? Oh boy, if we were discouraged before, now we're really discouraged. Yeah, Jesus, what kind of a God is that? To which, in effect, Jesus replies by saying, 
precisely the kind of God you think you serve. So, as I was telling you the story, Jesus in effect says, I was describing this preoccupied, despicable judge. No doubt some of you were thinking, you know, God is something like that. He's uncaring, unresponsive, more concerned with his agenda than my hurts. And I was telling you about this poor defenseless widow. Some of you no doubt were thinking, yeah, that's me, that's me. I mean, just a poor defenseless person. But Jesus says, don't you understand? This is a story of contrast. What I was doing was setting you up because God is totally unlike the judge, totally. And you're nothing like this widow. In fact, it's just the opposite. And so Jesus, in effect, says, you people have some learning to do. Well, with this parable, I find that it not only addresses this whole issue in a general way of our discouragement with God, secondly, it also draws our attention to a couple of causes of our dis disappointment. And I want to share them with you right now. The first of two that I find in this story has to do with our view of self. Excuse me, I'll, we'll get to that. That's actually the second one, our view of God. So those of you who struggle with this whole question, why didn't God answer my prayer during a painful time in life, tend at times to view God as being a little bit at least like this judge when he's not. So Jesus is saying in his character, you know, the judge was corrupt and consistent and sensitive. Is that what you think God is like? He's not like that. He isn't arbitrary, giving a fair verdict for this person, an unfair verdict for that person. He always does what is right and fair. In the language of Genesis 18, rhetorical question, will not the judge of all the earth do right? Answer, absolutely he will. And then Jesus says, I also described for you the, the conduct of this judge and said that the judge had no concern for people. I'm telling you, God cares for people. People matter to God, and you matter to God. So God is totally unlike the judge in terms of his character and his conduct. And until you learn that lesson about the character of God, you're going to continue to think that his pain doesn't matter to him when in reality it does. So that's one cause, our view of God. The second cause of our disappointment, which I've already indicated to you to some extent, has to do with our view of self. Now this woman had problems, no getting around it. She's poor, uh, doesn't have any rights given what women had to deal with in that particular culture, all of these things. And of course she's lost her husband. But I don't think any of those at this point in the story represent her greatest issue. I think her greatest issue is that she has no connection with the judge. I mean, that's why her only recourse was to try to badger this guy into submission. So she's a nobody, as far as he's concerned. And by contrast, Jesus is in effect saying, you're not like that. Sometimes you think that in God's eyes, you're just a name. But Jesus is saying that's not the case. You are his treasure. In fact, if you bow the knee in submission to Jesus as Savior and Lord of your life, he calls you his deeply loved child. He says you're part of his forever family. So nothing in this universe matters more to God than you do. 
And so based on this story, I want to give you some straight talk today. Maybe you're disappointed with God or you know somebody in your family who's really struggling with these issues. And if you haven't gone through a very dark season of painful issues, that could be, depending on how long you live, you know, on the horizon, and these issues could be there for you. So how do we deal with all of this? Well, first of all, you need to understand who God is and who you are. God is totally unlike this judge, and you are totally unlike this widow. You serve a God who refers to you in the language of this prayer that we've been examining over the course of the last seven weeks or so. A God who calls you, invites you to call him Father. Which, let me remind you, in Jesus' language, Aramaic, is the word Abba, term of endearment and affection. And you may recall from that opening uh, series that kicked off things, uh, what was said about the character of God as Father, what it means when we read our Father in heaven or recite those words. We talked about God being a caring Father who loves you. We talked about his faithfulness, who's never gonna let you go. We discussed how God is an available Father nearby whenever you need him and he's also competent, capable of handling your every concern. And so if you need to go back and revisit some of that teaching on what kind of a father God is, I invite you to go to our website, download the message, and uh, give some thought to all of that. So that's the first thing. You need to understand from the story who God is and who you are. But secondly, I wanna challenge you today to rethink God's interest in your life and in the matters that concern you. I mean, maybe you need to put your fist down and stop accusing God, and maybe you just need to start adoring him for the father that he is, who's become your father through what's illustrated before us, these elements of communion, that is the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, our Lord. So maybe that's where you need to begin. Maybe. Some of you have been putting yourselves down saying, you know, I'm just a nobody. God really doesn't care about me. When he says in this passage, don't you think God will surely give justice to his chosen people? Now I realize in the context that certainly would refer to the, the nation of Israel, but from the broader perspective of the New Testament, God has chosen you to be part of his forever family. It says in Ephesians 1, in love he predestined you for adoption to sonship, that is to be the son or the daughter of God through faith in Jesus Christ. That's your story. So my prayer is that many of you would be able to leave today saying, in effect, you know, I've been entertaining wrong views about God and wrong views about myself. God is my father. He deeply loves me and he cares about the issues that are going on in my life. Now maybe you're thinking today, you know Rich, I really like to believe all that stuff, but I can't talk myself into believing what doesn't really ring true in my experience. So what do I do? Four action steps. First of all, seek an explanation. When God says no or nothing, it's certainly appropriate for you to ask him why. 
And here the Bible, I think, asks us to think about a number of possible explanations. Let me share with you five. First of all, God may say no or nothing, no response, because of disobedience in our lives. First Peter chapter three, verse seven, the apostle writes, you husbands must give honor to your wives. If you don't treat her as you should, your prayers will not be heard. Now this isn't talking about some kind of sinless perfection that God requires to give attention to our prayer requests. This is about somebody who is engaging as the rest of the scriptures would certainly support, willful defiance. A person who's characterized by a lifestyle of conscious disobedience, God does not promise if that's your story to answer your prayers. You say, well, that's not my issue, okay? Secondly, sometimes God says no or nothing because we pray out of wrong motives. James is the one who alerts us to this in chapter four of his letter. He writes the following, the reason you don't hear don't have what you want is because you don't ask God for it. And even when you ask, you don't get it because, notice, your whole motive is wrong. You want only what will give you pleasure. And so if that for which you have asked of God is very self-oriented, it's all about you, God does not promise to hear that prayer either. Now let's just say, neither the first or the second are issues here. We're not talking about willful defiance. We're not talking, we want God to be exalted through our situation. Okay, what are some other explanations? Well, thirdly, sometimes God says no or nothing because he has something else in mind for us. Isaiah 55, eight, God says, my thoughts are completely different from yours, says the Lord, and my ways are far beyond anything you could imagine. I think of the mother of Augustine. Augustine would go on to become one of the greatest theologians in the history of the church. But that was before, obviously, his conversion. Prior, he wasn't converted until his early 30s. And as a young man, young adult, moving through his 20s into his early 30s, he was very promiscuous in terms of his lifestyle. His mom was a devoted Christian, praying for him constantly that he would be converted to Jesus Christ. But he was living an immoral life, sleeping with different women, got one of them pregnant outside of marriage, didn't marry any of these women, and one day said, Mom, I'm going to move to the city from North Africa where he lived. I'm, go I'm moving to uh, Rome. And the mother is thinking, oh, man, don't let that happen, Lord. She begins to pray in earnest. I mean, Rome is sin city. He goes there. He'll never be a Christian. He'll just get swallowed up in the lifestyle of that immoral uh, place. Well, God says no to the mom's prayers. He goes to Rome, sure enough, just as she thought happened. He gets involved in an immoral lifestyle. I mean, that lifestyle continues. But it gets to the point where he gets sick of it. It just made him sick. He realized there's nothing in all of this pleasure-seeking in the nightlife of Rome, and it eventually set him on a course of seeking God and coming to saving faith, and he would go on to become one of the greatest philosophers and theologians in the history of Christianity. The point being, God said no to this mother's prayers to give her something better. 
Now maybe you're thinking, I'm still waiting for the better because I'm not seeing it. Okay, well fourthly, sometimes God says no in order to give us a new or a different kind of ministry. You know, different career, different sort of life direction. Ephesians 3.20, God can do much, much more than anything we ask or imagine. Going back to the design series a few months ago, told you a little bit about the story of Johnny Erickson Tata, this vivacious 17-year-old, very attractive, athletic, popular woman, goes swimming one day, dives off this, this uh, uh, pier and fractures her neck, instantly paralyzed, can't even swim, of course, because she has no ability to move her muscles, her body, has to be rescued, set on a course, of great pain and difficulty, um, crying out to God for healing, wanting to know, God, where are you? People are telling her it's because God hasn't answered you because you don't have enough faith. And so she's struggling with that issue. She's dealing with a lot of depression, discouragement, suicidal at points. God brings her out of that darkness and begins to set her in a course of a new direction, new ministry, sketching beautiful works of art by holding a brush in her teeth, writing ministry, numerous books, conference ministry, international speaker, starts an international ministry to minister to the disabled called Johnny and Friends. One wonders if any of that would have happened. And so sometimes, God says no, because he has something else in mind for us. Then here's another one. Um, fifthly, sometimes God may say no or nothing in order to test our faith. So we pray, Lord, I need a new job. And God says, no, you don't. What you really need is me. And uh, so sometimes God delays his answer in order to strengthen our faith. Look at what James says. When your faith is tested, your endurance is a chance to grow. So let it grow. For when your endurance is fully developed, you'll be strong in character and ready for anything. So here's the point. Ask God to tell you why he didn't answer your particular concern and wait for his answer. Now, usually this process takes some degree of spiritual maturity sometimes thinking it out, dealing with some of these issues with a mature Christ follower who has become hopefully a friend. But if no answer is ever given to your concern, maybe God is saying to you, he's not gonna tell you. That was Job's issue. He never did get an answer from God. Toward the end of the book that bears his name, you know, here he is, um, God reveals himself in a powerful way, the God who flings the stars into position, who's sovereign over everything throughout this existence of ours. He lost all of these kids and everything and he never gets an answer. Sometimes God won't tell you and you're gonna have to accept that. So sometimes it's like a parent, you know, the child wants something and you're gonna to have to say no and say to the child, I can't give you any more of an explanation right now than that. I mean, not at this time. That may be true of God, but at least you can ask for an explanation. Number two, or B, submit to God's decision. Even Jesus had to learn submission to the will of the Father. 
And so in Gethsemane, just hours before the cross, he's crying out, Father, if you're willing, please take this cup of suffering away from me. Yet I want your will, not mine. And so the father doesn't give Jesus what he asked. And Jesus says, I want your will, not mine. Now, if that's not your response, maybe you're demanding your will instead of submitting to God's. Maybe the takeaway then today from this message is for you to come back to the place of submission. Submission sends a clear message to an enthroned God who rules over all things that you are willing to submit to his plan and his will for your life. So submit to God's decision. Thirdly, unless God directs otherwise, keep on praying. Now Jesus here includes a couple of rhetorical questions just to look at them very briefly. First of all, he says, don't you think God will surely give justice to his chosen people who plead with him day and night? Yes, he will. He will bring justice in his time. Second question, will he keep putting them off? Answer, no. God will not keep, off, keep putting off Christians who continue to cry out to him. The question then is, will you keep on praying? Because this really is the focus of this whole story that Jesus tells. Look at verse 1 again. Jesus told his disciples a story to illustrate their need for constant prayer and to show them that they must never give up. We don't get perseverance, particularly here in the West. You know, we want immediate gratification in our culture. And sometimes as Christians, we absorb that kind of concept. We prayed five minutes ago for God to do something. Where's the answer? Well, maybe we need to learn from Jesus um, the importance here. Yes, we can keep on praying and not give up, but we need to be submissive. Finally, keep on believing. You know, as a pastor, I have observed over the years that tragedy rarely um, leaves us neutral to God. There are individuals who have gone through painful times asking God to do this or that, didn't happen, and they end up becoming very bitter. I've known others who have buried the children that they prayed would be healed. I've known others who lost businesses they asked God to bless, who faced the breakup of a marriage they asked God to save, all with love and with faith. And so I draw this conclusion from these observations. How people continue to view God after he has said no or remained silent isn't so much due to the severity of their suffering as much as it's due to the presence or the absence of faith. I haven't suffered your issues. I haven't prayed your prayers. I'd like to believe, though no guarantees, that if I were to step into your shoes going through your painful time, that I would feel that God has every right to answer or not answer my prayers any way he wants for his glory. And I want to love God and trust him no matter what. So I guess if you're gonna buy into what I'm saying today, you're gonna to have to have faith. You're being asked to believe that unlike the judge, God really is just, compassionate, caring, even if he never answers another one of my prayers or yours. And you're being asked to believe that unlike the widow, 
You do have a compassionate Father who cares deeply for you, so keep trusting. And while you're waiting on him for some sort of response, may he minister to you during the time of silence. Let's pray together. Father, we know right now that because of who you are, you're listening to us. And you want us to listen to you as you tell us that you are an interested, concerned, responsive, compassionate, loving God. And in Jesus Christ, we're not like defensive widows with no recourse. We're your sons and daughters who can come confidently into your presence, knowing certainly that you do care about us. So Father, help us to believe even when you say no to us or when you're silent, that nothing of you ever changes. So forgive us, we pray, for our impatience, our selfishness, for demanding answers to things that we simply cannot understand because we're not you. And may we submit to your greater good. And may we keep praying and trusting, knowing that you care for us and for the issues that touch our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.